Lord, as we do pray, I lift up Kathy to you. I pray for your continual healing, Lord, upon her, that you'd wake her up, God, that she would start moving. We pray for a private room, Lord, that would open up for her, and we continue to pray for Lance and those that are with them all the way in Japan, and we pray for a full and quick recovery. And I pray for uh, Robin, Lord, with the loss of, of Doug, and I pray, God, that you would comfort her heart, Lord. Keep her eyes on you and strengthen her. And we pray the same for the Jensen family. And God, we pray, God, for your word this morning. We thank you, God, that we have this time to study your word. God, we don't want to waste it. So we put our full attention upon you. You've already drawn us into your presence in the worship. And now, like Mary Lord, we're all a bunch of Mary sitting at your feet, listening for you, for your voice through the Bible, God, to speak to our hearts. So I pray for your Holy Spirit, God, Lord, to anoint this time and give us those ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're in Jonah chapter 4 this morning. And if you've been following along, if you haven't caught the studies in here, it's been a wonderful for me. It's been amazing for me. You can catch them on our podcast or go on our YouTube channel and could, you could fast forward to worship if you want, but you can worship too and catch the, the studies there. But we're in Jonah chapter 4, which is our last study in this book. And God worked it out perfectly because next week is, is Christmas, and the week after that we're going to have a special New Year's message. But this is, this is so perfect. I didn't plan it. I go, wow, Lord. Came back, started. This was your timing here. So here we are in Jonah chapter 4, our last study. Now, if you remember Jonah chapter 1, our title of our message was Heading the Wrong Way. I had a subtitle, uh, The Prodigal Prophet, if you remember, where Jonah, uh, the Lord came to Jonah, called him to go to Nineveh. He said, uh-uh, I'm not going. And he went on the ship. He got on the ship toward Tarshish. And then uh, God brought a storm. They threw him overboard. A whale came, swallowed him up for, for three days, three nights. He finally hit bottom, and then he finally called out to the Lord in chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2, I titled it, Seeing Things Clearly. Now, Jonah became, our subtitle, the praying prophet. He was the prodigal prophet, then he became the praying prophet. And finally, hitting bottom, he prayed and called out to the Lord, and he saw his wrong and basically repented. Well, last week we came to Jonah chapter 3, and I called it the title of the message, Finding Second Chances. Well, both Nineveh and Jonah found second chances, and God is a God of second chances, isn't he? And so I, I, he had the chance, Jonah now, God called him the second time to go preach for the Lord to Nineveh, and so the subtitle was The Preaching Prophet. So we had the prodigal prophet and the praying prophet, and we went to the preaching prophet, and he went into the city, and as God gave him a second chance after he ran away from God, uh, God gave him the second chance to get back to his mission, then God used him to turn the whole city around. If you remember, this big revival broke out. The city, the king, the whole, all the people 
turn to the Lord in repentance and sackcloth and fasting and even the king put ashes on him. So, so here even Nineveh got a second chance in which God then uh, pulled back on not destroying the city in 40 days. And that's how we end it. Well, now we come to Jonah chapter 4. And the title of our message today is Missing the Mark on Compassion. Because Jonah didn't like that. He becomes the pouting prophet. He went from the prodigal prophet to the praying prophet to the preaching prophet. And he became the pouting. He's angry. He's like a little toddler. I don't like it, God. You were supposed to destroy them. And you're not. And that's what we're going to be getting into this morning. He does not have any compassion for the Ninevites, and he's missing the mark on compassion. That's our title. You know, thinking about that, uh, about compassion and how we are supposed to have compassion, I write about this father. He came home to find his three-year-old daughter in tears because her pet turtle had died. Well, the dad tried to console her, even told her, well, we can get a, another one. But, but she didn't want that. She wanted this particular turtle to be alive, and she continued to cry. Well, in trying to comfort her, the, the, the dad uh, came up with an idea, and he told her, you know what, let's have a memorial for the turtle. Well, the little three-year-old daughter said, well, what's a memorial? Well, the dad tried his best to explain this to a three-year-old girl. He said, well, a memorial is like having a birthday, in a sense, a birthday party for the turtle. We invite your friends to come over, and they hear you share some nice things about your turtle. Uh, then the dad added this, oh, and just to help you feel better, you know what, we can have some ice cream and cake too. Well, that last part really perked her up. That sounded, the sound of that just made the little girl very happy and excited. Well, just then, the unforeseen happened. The turtle began to move. Now, we don't know why. Maybe it was hibernating. I don't know. But the turtle began to move. He was not dead after all. In a matter of seconds, the turtle was crawling all over the place, lively as ever. The father was just speechless. He didn't know what to say, but the little girl did. In the innocence of a three-year-old, she looked up at the father and said, Daddy, let's kill it. <laughs> I know, that's bad, but, but, but it shows, right? It shows what she really cared about was like ice cream and cake. Poor turtle. No compassion on the turtle. You know, one online dictionary defines compassion this way. A deep awareness of the suffering of another coupled with the wish to relieve it. I like that. That's compassion. Well, as we return to our study here in the book of Jonah, we get to the very core of Jonah's problem, why he has no compassion for the Ninevites. And that very core issue deep inside of him, that's 
That's what caused him to be missing the mark on compassion. That's our title, Missing the Mark on Compassion. Again, we're going to be studying Jonah chapter 4, all the verses from verse 1 through 11. Now, we're going to find here in our passage three things that, that are the problem. Three things that keep him missing the mark. And, and this is how God is going to work. We're going to see God working here, uh, doing these three things. Number one, unmasking the hidden idol. Number two, unmasking his self-centeredness. And number three, unmasking his double standard. That's what we're going to find here in this chapter as we dive into God's word right now. Okay, so missing the mark on compassion. Let's begin with, with number one, unmasking his hidden idol. And this is what we're going to see. Unmasking his hidden idol. Number one in our outline, and basically these are our points. We're going to be covering verses 1 through 4 in this section. And let's take a look at those verses right now. Jonah 4, verse 1, it says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love uh, and relenting from disaster. Verse 3, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And verse 4, the Lord responded and said, do you do well to be angry? Let's stop right there. Now, we begin here in verse 1 in Jonah chapter 4, and we see how verse 1, it says, but it displeased Jonah. These first four words kind of, well, what is it? What, what did displease Jonah? But it, what was that? Well, it's what happened in chapter 3, verse 10, how we ended last week. If you look up at verse 10 of chapter 3, it says, When God saw what they did, who's that? Nineveh. They repented how they turned from their evil way. And they showed the fruit of that, right? God relented or changed course of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. He was supposed to destroy the whole city, everything in it in 40 days. And, and when he saw their repentance, God's like, okay. I'm going to give them mercy and not do that. Well, that's what Jonah was displeased about. But it, that's the thing. I mean, you would think with the citywide revival going on that Jonah would be happy. But it's just the opposite. Thus, we have the word but, that conjunction, in contrast to and against what God did, Jonah was displeased. And notice it says he was displeased exceedingly and he was angry. Now the word displeased here in the, 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 the root, the Hebrew root word, it means like broken up. Basically he was broken up about this. He, he was upset. The, the word exceedingly, we've come across that before in the New Testament. It means greatly, right? I, I would say it goes as far to say he came to the point of almost going out of control with how he was feeling about this. And angry here, well, 
you know what that means, right? He was furious. So if you put that together, it's like all the, the, these descriptions of, of Jonah, how mad he was. So you can say Jonah was super upset. Why? God gave the people of Nineveh, Nineveh mercy. Isn't that crazy? I mean, I read this go, what's wrong with you, Jonah? How could you have no compassion? How can you be like this? How can he be missing the mark on what compassion really is? What, what is wrong with him? He's supposed to be a man of God, a prophet. Well, we're going to find out why he's like this. Because God is getting to that very core and root of his problem. Now, in one sense, okay, I get it, Jonah. And we learned this, right? We learned that Nineveh, right, is the capital city of the Assyrian nation. The Assyrians were pretty bad people. The, the worst ever. They're very evil and wicked in their ways and how they treated uh, uh, prisoners of war. They, they're very, very bad people. And, and that's why God, God's attention is upon them, was ready to judge them for all their sins. So we get that. We get that Jonah, he's a patriot, right? He is, he's a Hebrew. He's for Israel. You know, anybody who comes a, 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 against my nation comes against me. So we get it. We get his heart. Remember I mentioned speculating. We don't know. Maybe there's some Assyrian issues that have come up in his family. Maybe they got killed or were abused by Assyrians. And, and so it, it's, it's deep in there. So he's this patriot. He's this prophet guy. No, God, we, we're your people. No one else. You know, we're the ones. So he, he's a pretty strong patriot. None of us pretty evil. So I, I, I get that. But there's something really burning down deep inside, motivating all this, moving him, driving him. And it comes out, right, in his anger. Look at verse 2. He, it, it, it's even leaking out here. In verse 2, he's like, oh, Lord. You know, it's not like, oh, Lord. Help me. It's like, oh, Lord. He's grumbling. I could picture him saying, oh, Lord. Shaking his head. Right? Because he says, oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? It, 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 this is what I said. I knew you do it. I knew it. I knew it. I told you so. I told you that this would happen. That's what he's saying here. You know, before I left, before I went on that trip, that's why I flee. That's why I ran away the opposite direction because I knew you were going to do this, God. I knew you. And the crazy thing is that he says here, look, I know that you are, I know who you are, God. I know you're, he lists things here. You're gracious. You're a gracious God. You're merciful. I mean, I would be like, God, thank you for being gracious, yeah? Thank you for your mercy. Oh, you're slow to anger. In other words, I know, God, you're patient, yeah? You're slow to anger. You abound in that steadfast, persistent, persevering love, agape, we say in the New Testament. So Jonah's like all upset about that. You know, actually, he's quoting, he knows the scripture, he's a prophet. He's quoting uh, basically Exodus 34, 6. And get this, to me, I was like, oh, Jonah, you, you, you're, you're going too far here. Because he's using 
scripture about the character of God against God now. Yeah? I think that's crazy. He says, I knew it. I knew it. I knew, I, I knew you, you're going to be relenting here from, the, from, from destroying the Ninevites, destroying them in that disaster. I knew you would remember the word relenting. We defined it as change course because the people repented. I knew that here's, here's Jonah. I knew you'd get all compassionate on me. Oh, I knew that. That's what he's saying, right? So Jonah, in anger, he attacks God. There's no adoration. It's just coming against the Lord. Isn't that crazy? Well, then in verse 3, he says, Therefore, you know what, Lord? Take my life from me. It's better for me to die than live. What? That is so strange. Why would you say that? You know what? He's pouting, right? I mean, he's throwing this back at God. Well, I don't want to do anything, God. I'm just going to sit here. I'd rather just die. You know what? He's saying, God, because you didn't do what you were supposed to do, what I wanted you to do, you know, it's, I might as well end it all here. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that a tantrum? Isn't that Jonah, like, pouting here? So now you begin to see this, this core reason inside of him. That when God turned in mercy from destroying Nineveh, and then out comes Jonah's anger, and all these words come out, you're starting, you know what's leaking out? Why he's there, right? Why did he come? The core reason, really, for serving God, going and preaching, was to see Nineveh die. You know, was to say the last word to them. You guys in 48 days are gone, you guys. You guys are done with that. He wanted that last word. And then it didn't happen. And when it didn't happen, there's no reason to live. There's no more, you know what, purpose in his life. I'm mad at you, God, because you took away my purpose. That's what essentially he's saying. So see this here in Jonah and what we're looking at right now in chapter 4. Jonah's anger exposes what's really inside. What's deep there inside his heart. What, what, you know what I'm talking about? What drives him, right? What, what gets his wheels going, the engine way deep and down there. Now, you may be thinking, we talked about this right back in chapter 1 and chapter 2, that early in the book, Jonah got swallowed by a whale. It took him three days and three nights to finally come to the Lord. He, he was pretty stubborn. But God used all of that to break his pride, break his stubborn will, basically. And then remember, we talked about how then he set his mind to obey God. This time, I'm not going the other way. I'll go to Nineveh, right? He set his mind to do that. Oh, I'm never going to do that, that thing again. No way. That was horrible. God, I'm here. Okay, God, I'm going to obey you. Jonah set his mind to do the will of God, but not his heart. He had other reasons. He had other reasons. You know, it's possible to do the will of God with the wrong heart. It's possible to serve the Lord for the wrong reasons. That's what's coming out here. See, God is working here. 
And when Jonah was in the whale, that was only half the work in his life. It was getting to his mind and his will. But now God wants, God wants to go deep into his heart. And so this, this is the Lord working. He, Jonah had reasons that needed to be pulled out. You know what? All this is exposing what? That hidden idol. God is unmasking the hidden idol in there. That's what's happening here. Listen, what his anger revealed was Jonah's idol. And what was that? Jonah's core agenda. What drives him? What, what, what makes him do what he does? What, what, what makes him decide and choose things because of this inside? That's what is being exposed here. What keeps him going? How he operates? Now, we got a little bit of a, a peek into that, right? Oh, Jonah, he dislikes, yeah, the enemy Gentiles. So any Gentile is the enemy. He probably hates Gentiles too. He doesn't understand that God is not just the God of the Jews, but he's God of the Gentiles. He's God of the world. He wants to save everybody. And so there's that engine inside him running. So, okay, God, I'll go. I'll go. I'll be obedient. I'll set my mind to that, and I'll go and preach. But think about that engine. Think about what's driving him. That's what he really worships, you guys. That's his idol. He gives his homage to this idol. He's more committed to this than God himself. Do you see why? He can be angry and say, Oh, Lord, shaking his head. Attacking God for his character. This explains the senselessness here. Jonah attacks God for not being a vengeful God, and he's super angry because God is compassionate. I think that's crazy. But this anger, his prayer, what he said, it was only unmasking his hidden idol, Jonah's core agenda. Lloyd Ogilvie, in his commentary, said, the hard inner core of Jonah said, this is what I believe about God, and not even he is going to change it. I like that. That's how set he was. Yeah. That he had his Thing, his purpose. This is what I want you to be. Why? To fulfill his purpose. What he wanted. Now in verse 4, the Lord responds and says, Do you do well to be angry? These seven words in our English translation are actually uh, translating three words in Hebrew. In other words, God is, is, is saying, Is this well? In other words, is this right? Jonah, is this right? I think God is trying to convict him and probe in this simple answer. Just, Jonah, you know. You know that in Deuteronomy 32, 35, it says, Vengeance is mine. It's not Jonah's job to decide and to do it. Psalm 75, 7, it says, God alone judges. Not Jonah. So here's God in a simple three words in Hebrew in a convicting way, I say, is this really right? Is this really right, Jonah? God is saying, Jonah, is it really right 
for you to be angry at me when I have done the, when I have the right, I should say, when I have the right to decide to give mercy or not. That's what the Lord is coming back and saying. See, when God didn't flow with Jonah's core agenda, right? His agenda. Anger comes out. Jonah bucks against God. We can see how bad this is. God is trying to bring him back to see who, uh, help him see who God really is. God is God. God is sovereign. He's the Lord. Jonah's supposed to submit to him. But what Jonah is doing, listen, hear this. This is idolatry at its worst. This is idolatry at its worst. I mean, it's the core definition of idolatry. It, it, it's make, wanting God to be the God you want, right? It's idolatry at its worst. So in this simple response, God is unmasking his hidden agenda, Jonah's core agenda. His hidden idol, Jonah's core agenda. You know, um, years ago, you guys know I was on staff as a show, associate pastor a long time ago at uh, uh, Calvary Chapel on the mainland in California. I was there 13 years, and, and one, one of the duties I had for the first 10 years was I was overseeing, like, from youth all the way down to the babies. And uh, one day, someone told me that one of the junior high leaders, they were teaching the, the kids, the junior hires, that you cannot pray to Jesus. You can only pray to the Father. And there are some people who think that, and, and that, that's their thing and everything. So I thought, well, i got to talk to him. So when I talked to him, he argued his case, and that was fine. Okay, you know, we had a good talk about it, and I don't believe that. But I did tell him that that's all right if you hold to that. But you know what? That's not what the church believes. That you're not representing the church and our doctrine and what we believe. And so you cannot teach that. I mean, there's so much more other things to teach, right? Jesus, his deity, you know, salvation in Jesus. There's so much more. But you know what? He wanted to do his one thing. He wanted to teach this doctrine. Oh, you can't pray to Jesus. No, only the Father. Even Jesus was talking. You know, I don't believe that at all. But that was his thing. And he got upset and left the church. And I thought it was sad because I, I felt like God had called him to this home church. But I believe God was trying to get to that hidden idol. What drove him? Why he wanted to be in ministry? Why he wanted to be a junior high teacher? He wanted to Promote this. This was his thing. This was that hidden idol. This was his core agenda. Gave him purpose in life. Whenever he talked to people, he'd talk about this. He's the expert in this. He liked that. And he would come, and that's all he would do. Well, that's just an example. You guys, we all have something way deep in there. And I want you to think about this today. Think about this this morning as we see Jonah's hidden idol being exposed here. His core agenda. Why he does what he does. What drives him? 
I want you to look deep in your heart. Why do you serve? Why do you want to teach? Why, why is it that, that you're always on this? And if you don't get what? Your way, you're out of here. Think about that. Think about, is that what God wants you to do? We see here, that's not what God wants Jonah to be. So Jonah, because of that hidden idol, is missing the mark on compassion. So number one, God, he's unmasking his hidden idol. Well, let's go to number two now. God, he's unmasking his self-centeredness. His self-centeredness. It kind of flows together, all these things. Here we're going to look at verse 5 through 9. And just to get it in our heads, uh, let's read that. In Jonah chapter 4, verse 5, it says, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he uh, should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun arose then, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might, what, die, and said, it's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plan. And Jonah, he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. We'll stop right there. Crazy. Now, in this next section, as we begin in verse 5, we see that Jonah, he went out of the city then. He saw, heard God, you know, mention, no, I'm not going to bring destruction. So, so, you know, he says, well, I'm going to get out of here. And he finds a place most likely overseeing the city. And he makes a little, little lean-to kind of st- structure real quick, you know, kind of thing. Probably wind would blow it down kind of thing, you know. And he, and, and he sits watching the city, hoping to see maybe God might change his mind. A little lean-to he's sitting under there. I mean, I think probably it's been maybe, well, we know only a day into it, we saw last week, the people started to turn. Then maybe a few days into it, the king turned and made a proclamation that everyone should fast and repent and put sackcloth and all and show that repentance for maybe God will turn. And then God did turn. Maybe Jonah's like, hey, this isn't going to last. Let's see now, yeah. Let's see now. He's still running what? With his purpose, with his core agenda. Let's see. Maybe it's not, not going to last. People will go back, you know, after all these days. So he's going to, I'm going to wait it out for 40 days. Maybe, and I think in his immature, childish kind of foolish thinking, he's like, maybe God will give in to me if I pout here. I mean, I think of, you know, toddlers when they, they're like, so, you know, demand, they sit there, you know, and then what do we parents do? Oh, we give in, right? Yeah, but maybe he's weird in thinking that way, being like a, a, a toddler. Well, while he's stewing there, while he's pouting, while he's waiting for God to destroy or, or you know, the Ninevites to get it, even in that, 
I think it's interesting in verse 6. The Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his what? Discomfort. God was still caring for Jonah. It wasn't like, you're on your own, Jonah. No, God's mercy and grace was still upon even Jonah here, all with the wrong heart, all with the wrong core in there. God, no, let me help you out here. So he puts this plant there to grow His, by grace. Now, now some commentators say it, it could be a castor oil tree or plant that it has big leaves so it probably grew over and gave him shade that little lean-to little booth he made it wasn't adequate you know plus even if he did have a little bit yeah you know the shade from a tree oh there's nothing like that right right and so god you know what he puts this plant to grow here think about this this is a miracle i mean it doesn't take weeks or months or years for this plant to grow big enough with leaves big enough to shade Jonah. It happens like right away. You know, kind of came out and gave shade. Can you imagine that? That is a miracle. And I believe God did that. You know why? So there's no doubt who put that plant there. He didn't happen to just set up his little thing there. There was a plant. There was nothing. Then all of a sudden there is a plant. God did that for Jonah. You know what? To show that there, uh, the goodness of God. God's grace is there. And, and, and that's the Lord. The Lord wanted to remind Jonah of the goodness of God. I want you to notice something in, in verse 6 too. So in, in, in verse 6, so Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant exceedingly greatly he was so happy he was so angry before right but now he's like so glad you know what i could see him going oh god is good thank you god oh i was dying here you brought me this shade god is good but then he goes back to pout over the goodness of god over nineveh kind of crazy right god now works to unmask right how Jonah lives for what benefits him, right? It's all about me for Jonah. So we see next in, in verse 7 that when dawn came, yeah, the next day God had appointed or arranged, just like he arranged the fish, you know, just like the storm, uh, uh, he arranged a worm that attacked the plant so it withered. It ate up the plant and the plant died. Now, let me, let me say that's a miracle, too, that this worm came right at that moment. This worm killed the plant right away. It didn't take weeks or months. Right away, God arranged this to happen. He was the one. So when the sun came up all the way, God also appointed, arranged, what, a scorching east wind. Probably for them over there, it's like when the conas blow and it's so hot and it gets really warm, right? So it got super hot. And not only that, when the sun was high, the sun beat down on the head of Jonah to, to the point he was faint. He was so hot. He, he, you know, the heat, the wind, not just the sun, but the air was hot. Everything was, was hot. And he just started to, to faint, lose all of his energy. Can you imagine 
I was imagining, remember we talked about how there must have been like Jonah all bleached and blotches on his skin from the gastric juices of being in that great fish, that big fish, right? Probably he lost his hair too. There's probably patches and bald. And, and, and so his head, you know, probably hardly ever saw the sun before, but now the sun beating down and it's burning. It's like bright red. Crazy. And then what does Jonah do? Does he fall on his face and humble himself? No. He asked that he might die. In other words, he prayed to God again. He said, you know what? It's better for me to die than live if I'm going to be like this. God, why did you kill the plant? God, it was great. All the plant was here. I might as well die. Here he's pouting, throwing his tantrum once again. You see the pattern here? When he didn't get his way, what did he do? <sighs> yeah, oh God, right? Well, the Lord responds in verse 9. God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? There it is again. Is this really right, Jonah? To be angry like this. Is, is this really right? And, and I mean, because of the plant? You're angry at me because of the plant that died? Is, is, that, is that really right here? And here's Jonah. He feels justified here, right? Yes. Yes. I do well to be angry. It's right for me to be angry. Angry enough to die. Oh, he's throwing the tantrum there, right? That's the peak right there. But notice what's happening. <laughs> this anger, his response, God is a, an, a ma- unmasking how he cared more for the plant. The plant that died. The plant that kept him comfortable more than Nineveh. He was hoping Nineveh would die. But now this plant died and he's all angry. Right? Oh, the plant Gave me shade. Made me feel good. I was happy with that. Do you see what God is doing? Do you see what's coming out with this anger? In this situation? You know, Warren Wiersbe said, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. That's it, you guys. Deep inside of us. God, he knows what's going on. He knows what drives us. And one of the biggest things other than our core agenda is God is doing this with Jonah. He's unmasking his self-centeredness that Jonah catered to. He's unmasking his self-centeredness, right? Poor me. I'm all hot. My head is sunburnt now. Poor me. My situation, me. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm faint. Poor me and no compassion for the people of Nineveh. No compassion at all. That's all that mattered. And, you, and, and we know this. When you're self-centered like that, you know, there's no compassion for no one else, right? You don't care for anyone else. No compassion, no care, yeah? no concern for others. Nah, because It's about your own comfort, your own convenience, what you want, your core agenda. There's no compassion. 
God is unmasking his self-centeredness Jonah catered to. You know, I, I was thinking back when I was 17 and, you know, had my driver's license for a little while, you know, first time. Well, I got into my first accident. I came up over a hill and uh, there's a traffic light at the bottom, traffic light, but all, it was red, so all these cars had backed up. When I came over the hill, I didn't realize there wasn't that much room, and, and all of a sudden, I, I rear-ended this car. And well, I'll tell you, when, when I hit the car and rear-ended, immediately I was so bummed, because my car, my pride and joy, I had customized it, got custom wheels, tinted the windows, you know. Uh, back then in the 70s, right, you put a little rake to it, you know, kind of thing. And I was like, oh, no, my, my, my car. I, I was so bummed. It got smashed. Well, the other car, there was only a little bit damage on the bumper. I mean, this was the 70s, you guys, so the cars were a lot stronger, right? There was a little damage, but my car was, was smashed in in the front, and I was so bummed. Well, the other car, with the small damage, a man got, got out of the car. And you know what the first thing he said to me? Are you okay? Are you all right? And, and, and he could tell I'm just like, I'm just losing it. Because my car, right? And, and you know what? He started, he said, you know, sometimes things happen, but God has a plan. He started talking about the Lord. He started talking about God. And I was a Christian too by then. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, oh, you believe in God? He's like, yeah, I believe in God. Oh, oh. And I thought, oh, thank you, God. If anyone I'm going to hit, it's a Christian at least, you know. They're going to be a lot nicer. And, and that, that was like, oh, thank you, God, in that way. But I was still thinking, my car. I think back, though, how come I wasn't concerned about him? How about his car? In contrast to what he did, I didn't ask if he was okay. I was only concerned for me. My world, my things, yeah? What, what, what gave me uh, uh, comfort and, and fun and, and my car I could drive. It, 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 yes, it was an idol, yeah? It was my purpose. I was a Christian, though, but I was into this, fixing it up, yeah? I, I knew Jesus. I worshiped at church. Yeah, I believed in Jesus. I was serving God, too. But you know what? This exposed this hidden idol. And it unmasked my self-centeredness. You know, in our lives, God may arrange a fish, a plant, and a worm to eat the plant away. A hot wind to come. What? To unmask. What is it that you're really about? To peel away the layers. We think we're okay. But I'll tell you, God wants to go deeper and deeper into our lives to show us what is it in there that, that really drives you. And in those situations, it really comes up, isn't it? Sure, 
You may be a good Christian. Sure, you receive the Lord. You pray to receive Jesus. You're saved and you come to church. You pray, you study your Bible, and you even are in the church serving and doing things. But still, deep, deep inside, there's something there. Jonah is a man of God, a prophet of the Lord. God uses him to speak to thousands. Yet, God's working on what's deep deep inside. Jonah's self-centeredness, you know, it blinds him to what God is really trying to do. And especially, it keeps him missing the mark on compassion. Let's go to number three here. Unmasking his double standard. We've seen unmasking his hidden idol, unmasking his self-centeredness. And now number three, the third thing in the last two verses here this morning is unmasking his double standard. We're going to go a little over. And you're like, yeah, I know, Pastor Rick. You always go over. Well, but we had a dedication announcements, And you guys kept talking in the meet and greet, you know, time. So it's all your fault. No, just joking. That's a good thing. We're going to cover the last two verses here, uh, verse 10 and 11. And it reads here in Jonah 4.10. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle so here's the lord he comes in in verse 10 and says basically you know you justify your anger you justify your anger because you you pity the plant you have compassion for this plant right you're like oh this poor plant god you killed it god you had it die but but we know really there's more inside there but God's saying, okay, look, let's think about this. You have compassion just on this plant then, right? I mean, and, and here's a plant. You never planted that plant. You didn't labor over it, care for it, you know, help it grow. I mean, the plant, they just plants anyway. They grow up and they die. They don't last forever. That's what God is saying. So you pity this one plant. So why can't I... Have compassion for the people of Nineveh. Remember, um, we saw this before, but God uses this description. He says, Shouldn't I, uh, should not I pity Nineveh, that great city? Remember, Nineveh, um, they tell us that probably has 600,000 plus people. Some even say, estimate 750,000 people in this city. It was the largest city in the ancient world at that time. So the Lord said, look, you pity this one plant? Why can't I pity 600,000 plus people? You're focused on that one plant, but why can't I have compassion on these people, all these people here? And then the Lord adds in this. Well, in that city, there's more than 120 persons who do not know the right hand and left. You know what that's talking about? cake you are so young that they don't know which one is the right hand and left hand. So he's talking about children. So there's 120,000 cakey in that city. And so God's like, okay, well, maybe you don't like the people, but you got to have a heart and have compassion for the cakey then. 
At least do that for the keiki. I mean, why can't I care for keiki? You, you love keiki too, right? Okay, if, if, if you don't have compassion for the children, you don't have compassion for the people, you don't have compassion for the children, well, do you know there's a lot of cattle in there? There's a lot of animals. So you like the plant. But about the animals? If, if, if you're okay with uh, giving pity and compassion on the plant, okay, let's go to the animals. If it's not the people, it's not the keiki. Well, how about the animals? How about the animals? So God puts all of this out, basically, right? Jonah, you can have pity on this plant that died, but, you, but God, I can't have pity on people who will die in their sin. That's what he's saying. A plant lives and dies, but you know what? People... Nikeki, there's souls that will live on for eternity, whether it's hell or heaven. So why can't I have pity on those who will die in their sin? God, God is saying this, Jonah, you justify your anger at me for not destroying hundreds and thousands of people, yet you justify your anger at me for destroying one little plant. I mean, how does that work? He's saying this. Your anger is based on a double standard. Your compassion even is based on a double standard. So here's God unmasking his double standard on his compassion. Oh, I'm going to have compassion on the the plant because it did for me. But not these guys. Well, why not? Something even greater, people even greater, right? He has this double standard. It's, it's what he, he sets up, not what God wants. And he has a double standard on this. Proverbs 20, 23, and this is the NLT reads, The Lord detests double standards. He is not pleased by dishonest scales. You can see how... All this comes together, can't you? Jonah, yeah, he has a double standard because why? He has his self-centeredness, his own self-interest. And why? Because it fulfills his hidden idol, his core agenda. One more thing here. One more thing. Notice verse 11. Notice how this ends. It's like, wait, 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 my Bible, it's all blank. It's like, was, was there a misprint here? Wait, what happened? It just abruptly ends. It's like, God, wait, what, what happened to Jonah? Where's verse 12? Verse 12, just one more verse would have helped me, you know. What happened to Jonah? Did he humble himself? Did, did, he, did he finally see his idol? Did he finally uh, put others more than himself? Did he finally, like, uh, live up, uh, you know, put God's standard inside him, not have a double standard that he likes to do? What happened to Jonah? Well, the answer is, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know. You know what? I'm going to find Jonah and ask. I don't know about you. That's one of the many first things I want to do, if I can say that. But I believe in the work of God's grace, God's mercy. God's love. You know what? Because in Ephesians 4, verse 10, the Apostle Paul wrote, For we are his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I believe whether, whether now or later that God worked with Jonah and kept after him, that he gave him another second chance and another second chance. If not, right after this, he, he did. He, he did humble himself. You know, um, Jewish tradition says that after God said the words here in Jonah 4.11, that Jonah fell on his face, this is Jewish tradition, and said, govern your world according to the measure of mercy as it said, to the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, which is Daniel 9.9. So Jewish tradition says he humbled himself there. And I believe that Jonah probably finally did. I believe the, the missing verse here is to cause us to go, wait, what happened? So that we would ask ourselves, what are we going to do? How are we going to end the story? So know this. Unmasking his double standard was to change Jonah. That's what God was doing here. Someone wrote uh, this, this verse. It says, And Jonah stalked to a shaded seat and waited for God to come around to his way of thinking. And God is still waiting for a host of Jonas in their comfortable houses to come around to his way of loving. How is your story going to end? Oh, Lord, open my eyes to your work in me. Am I holding to some double standard because that self-centeredness me because of that hidden idol. You know what? As we end the study of this book, the book of Jonah, you know what's very comforting to me? Even in my own failure, we see God is patient with this hard head, hard hearted Jonah, right? God is forever patient with him. Remember, this is our theme, isn't it? God's grace and mercy toward wayward hearts. That was a, that's our theme that we started out with in Jonah chapter 1. That's what it's about. God's patience, his grace and mercy to us who are wayward too. We're not perfect and a lot of times our own heart gets us in trouble. Well, I'll close with this. A painting by Michael Angelo is on the ceiling of the Vatican uh, in the Sistine, sorry, on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel at the Vatican. It portrays prophets and apostles and patriarchs. And of all the faces that are painted there, one writer says, none has a more radiant countenance than Jonah. This writer uh, kind of speculates and says, well, many wonder if Michelangelo knew something we don't know about. We don't know what happened to Jonah after the abrupt ending of the book. Or maybe the artist hoped that Jonah did indeed accept God's mercy and became a giver of grace. We don't know. But I like what he says next. But what we do know is our own portrait is not finished. And its progression is really dependent on the mercy we allow to work in our Nineveh. So let's let God work, weed out that idol, respond 
so that we would not be missing the mark on compassion. Let's pray. God, as we close up this book, there's so much stuff we learn, God. And even today, there's a lot of deep things, God. you're, You're going deep. Lord, you've gone deep into our own hearts. And I'm convicted, God. Lord, we want the core of everything we do be about you, Jesus, to glorify you. We want our lives not to be about me, about our own self-centeredness, God, but we want it to be about you, Jesus, everything that we do. When things don't go away, when our way, God, when, when things don't happen in the way we expect, God, we still want to submit to you in your way and whatever work you're doing. God, we, we don't want to hold to double standards, Lord, but we want to hold to your standard and your standard alone. And so, Lord, we, we rely right now upon your grace, your mercy, because we need it, Lord. Thank you for second chances, and today, pray you give us another second chance, God, to take these things you've spoken to us about, to turn from them and live for you once again. And God, we're reminded that you are so good to us, God. We say it all all the time, God is good. Lord, we know that. And may your goodness carry us on, Lord, as we grow and mature in our faith. In Jesus' name, amen.